you spoilt children. Ever heard anyone say that in the supermarket? I think it's probably the most offensive thing anyone could say to you. You spoilt child. Uh, Spoilt children are critical of their parents, aren't they? Uh, Ungrateful, disobedient, quarrelsome. Spoilt children sometimes carry a chip on their shoulders. They feel hard done by. Well, our passage this morning in, in 2 Corinthians begins with the thought that the church in Corinth have become a bit like spoiled children. Um, With the entrance of the super apostles, these false teachers, the church has got bitter towards Paul. There's been infighting. There's been disobedience. There's been sexual immorality. There's been factionalism. It's pretty messy. It's very messy. But by the end of this chapter, we find something very, very, very different. By the end of this chapter, we find some words which are familiar to us. And they're amazing, aren't they? Look at chapter 13, verse 14. Here's how our Bible passage ends. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's quite startling, isn't it? How does this church go from all of its mess, all of its disagreements, to grace and love? And fellowship. Here's a church on the edge of disaster. Things need to change. Paul's been pleading with them. He's been arguing with them. And here comes his final plea to them. And I think we'd do well to listen to it. You see, the Corinthians are ungrateful. They're disobedient. They're quarrelsome. But the truth is, I think, if we reflect, those aren't things that are actually ever so far away from us, are they, really? I mean, am I ungrateful? Sometimes, yeah. Am I disobedient? Do I mess up? I fall into sin? Yes. Am I quarrelsome? Yes. So in light of Paul's visit, he's going to charge the church with two things. He's going to plea with them two things. So I'd like us to see the two things Paul says to this church and some final encouragement. So look with me, please, at Paul's first encouragement to this church. First thing Paul says to a church in a mess, test the external. Test the external. I think we see in chapter 12 here, in verses 11 to 21, that Paul wants the church to test him. He might be an apostle, he might be external from them, but it doesn't mean he's beyond testing. In these verses, it's like he wants the church to to test him and see what kind of apostle has he been? Really, what what has he been? And and then to lay off feeling hard done by. It's the case, isn't it, that spoiled children um, often get upset and angry because they feel like they've been treated unfairly. They got an ice lolly and I didn't. They haven't done what they should have done to me. And it's like here in this church, that the, the, the church is saying, I know there's arguments, I know there's faults, but Paul, that's your problem. That's your fault, because you should have shown yourself in power. And if you'd done that, then, then there wouldn't be any arguments here. It's your fault. And Paul says, well, okay, then let's investigate. Test me. You should test your external influences. T- test me. So look at the test. Look look how it goes. Has Paul let this church in Corinth down? Well, look at verse 11. Uh, No, he hasn't. 
Actually, he says he should have been commended by them. Why? Look at verse 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with the utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. In what were you less favoured than the rest of the churches, says Paul? Except that I myself did not burden you. Forgive me this wrong. Paul says, I have proven myself. The signs of an apostle were performed, just like they were everywhere. Corinth hasn't been treated any differently. They haven't been treated badly. In fact, the only thing Paul has done, especially in Corinth, is charge them a lower bill. They haven't had to pay anything to have to have Paul amongst them. Forgive me, he says, somewhat ironically. He's done everything he should have done, including these signs of the, the signs of a true apostle. Now, that might make us wonder this morning, mightn't it? I'm sure you spotted that and thought, oh, what's with all these signs and wonders? Um, well, read the book of Acts for more on that. I think as we look at the Bible, I think we see miraculous things happening for significant reasons. So if you go um, to the Gospels and see the miracles that the Lord Jesus performs, what's going on there? Well, the miracles often point to who Jesus is and what his kingdom is like. They verify him. And if we look at the book of Acts, the signs and wonders that occur, they're often there with a particular function to prove that the apostles really have met the risen Lord Jesus. They really are the authorised ambassadors of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. If you're wondering about signs and miracles, well, they existed for a purpose, to verify, to, to validate and so for us today, do we need any more signs? The Lord Jesus is risen from the dead. He has pro- proven himself. He is risen in power and glory. We need only to point to that, don't we? But look, Paul says here, the signs have been performed. He hasn't failed to prove himself. Test, test your external influences, says Paul. Test me. And actually, he gets them to keep testing him, doesn't he? Paul says, look at my life. Am I really living like a true minister of the true gospel. Do you, see, do you see it? Test the external, test your Bible teachers, test your influences, examine them. Because there's a mess in the church. There's arguments in the church. There's false teaching in the church. Could that be behind all the bitterness and all the arguments? And Paul says, here's a thing to look out for, right? Here's a thing to test for. True gospel ministers are not like deceivers, they're more like parents. I'll say that again. True gospel ministers are not deceivers, they're more like parents. And here's the thing, parents spend for their children. Parents spend for their children, and parents take responsibility for their children. Look Look at chapter 12 and verse 14. Here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden. For I seek not what is yours, but, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Look what he says. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, I might be loved less. Do you see the picture? True gospel ministers will spend like parents. When the energy bill comes in next month, We don't say to the children, right, well, you better fork out for that then. Parents spend for their children. When the knee goes through again on the school uniform, Henry, you better pay for that then, hadn't you, mate? No. No, parents spend for their children. 
And so do true gospel ministers. They spend and will be spent. I think many of us know that already. Perhaps you had a friend who read the Bible with you. Maybe you had a youth leader who invested in you. Maybe it was a family friend who, who never gave up speaking Jesus to you. Maybe it was a neighbour who just kept on inviting you to church. They spent and would be spent for you. True gospel ministers spend themselves like a parent. Are you under the influence of people like that? In this church that is a mess. Test and see for that. And if you're loved by people like that, are they to be loved less? No, children are to be grateful for their parents. Or at least they should be. And so Paul says, examine me. And look how he raises all the right questions. Look at, look at verse 16. But granting that I myself did not burn you, and I didn't. I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I, I, I urged Titus to go and, and send the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? You see, look, in everything I've done, I sent people to you. I've, I've been to see you. In any of that, did anyone ever deceive you? No. Look at the evidence of our Christian life, our integrity. What Christian life can you see in the influences that you are under? Test those external influences and ask, what Christian life can you see in ministers of the gospel, in those who would speak the gospel to you? Sometimes asking one, uh, one important question is all it takes. Take, for example, the cow's floating bridge. This may be lost on the visitors, I'm afraid. Fraught with problems, rarely working for about the last four or five years. Cost of fortune, bucket load of hassle. Sometimes it works. It does work sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah, sometimes. In the design stage, if one person had asked, are we sure that the ramp will reach... Just that one question would have changed everything, wouldn't it? What a bother it would have saved. Here's the important question. What evidence of Christian living do you see in those teachers and influencers that you listen to? Can you see it? True ministers spend themselves like parents. But they also take responsibility like parents. Um, Christian parents understand they're bringing their kids up. They, uh, and, and when they do that, they're taking responsibility. And that responsibility um, doesn't come from the local school. It doesn't come from the PTA. It doesn't come from the hospital, the midwife. Responsibility doesn't come um, from the health visitor either. Parents aren't reporting to the other parents, even though sometimes you feel like you are. Parents aren't even reporting to the church, by the way. Parents have been given a job to do by God. And it's like that for true gospel ministry. Look at verse 19. Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? Are we reporting to you? It is in the sight of God that we've been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. True gospel ministers know they have responsibility from God. And so they'll spend, but they'll also challenge. They'll try and build up faith and trust in Christ. And sometimes that will feel painful. Sometimes that will feel like we're being torn down, but we're not being torn down. We're being built up by ministers who are taking a responsibility 
to speak the truth to us, accountable before God. See how Paul feels, verse 20. I'm like this, for I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling and jealousy and anger and hostility and slander and gossip and conceit and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you. I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality and sensuality they practiced. Oh, what a weight and a burden Paul feels. Because true gospel ministry doesn't give a performance as if that's what we needed. It doesn't give us a pat on the back, even though sometimes that's just what we want, isn't it? True gospel ministry isn't only about merely making us um, feel uplifted. True gospel ministry won't make sure that everything feels comfortable and cosy. Although that's what I love. True gospel ministry is accountable for God. And so will warn us and care for our souls. True gospel ministers will sometimes tell you to stop gossiping. True gospel ministers will warn us about our anger problems. True gospel ministers will want to see disorder and relationship chaos settled. True gospel ministers will call us to repentance in the area of sexual immorality. And wow, aren't we messed up there, by the way? I almost feel like throwing my notes away and just staying there and preaching on those things (laughs) for a minute. We're in a culture that's jumbled up in self-interest, right? Has got sex totally wrong. And, And the last thing Paul wants to find is... His anger and sexual immorality and disorder. The last thing he wants to do is find that in the church. Because he's like a parent with them. He's spent for them and he takes responsibility for them. So do you see, we're supposed to test the external influences, test the Bible teachers. Do they live like parents? Do they spend like parents? Do they take responsibility like parents? Or are they soft on us? Do they display lives of gospel integrity? You see, the truth is sometimes we do get a bit grumbly, don't we? We listen to the world and its successes, and we long for what the world has, an easy life, perhaps. We want the big positives. We want the wow. And in our Christianity, we want the wow, and instead we get weakness. We want the wow, and instead we get challenge. And we could go for grumbling, We could continue in our stubborn-minded rebellion. We could go after the supposed super-Christianities of health and wealth and prosperity. But Paul says, don't. Test your influences and see what they're really like. What are you really listening to? Because you could be losing a parent. You could be losing the love of a parent because true gospel ministry, true, true church ministry expresses the love of a parent, the love that we've received in Christ through God the Father and by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Test the external. Are you being hard done by? Or are you being loved like a parent loves a child? It's a startling thought, isn't it? And if I'm honest, actually, at this point, it kind of makes me a bit fidgety. Because I go, if that's what true gospel ministry is like, What does my Christian ministry look like that? Am I living up to that? For the sake of Christ, do I care for 
others in my church family? Do I spend myself for them? Would I spend and be spent for their souls? Would I, in the church family, as members together of one body, do I take responsibility? Like a brother and sister in Christ. Could I say the things that Paul says of myself? See, here's a church in danger of grumbling and mess. And Paul says, test the external. Test the external. Are you really being hard done by? Or are you experiencing true gospel ministry? That's thing number one. Thing number two, we see it in chapter 13. Paul says, not only test the external, but test the internal too. Test the internal. And that thought's there in verse five, isn't it? Examine yourself. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you fail to meet the test? You see, here's a church, and they've got Paul all wrong. He loves them like a parent, and they felt hard done by. But actually, the truth is, they might have got themselves wrong, too. They're getting, they're getting bitter, they're getting argumentative, they're, they're a bit like spoiled children. And they need to ask, is that about Paul, or is that about them? They need to test and see. I don't know whether you've ever had this experience of being in church, and you're listening to a message, and it all seems to be going fine. And then you start thinking, I don't like that. I don't like what they're saying. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to live that out. And then you start thinking to yourself, I'm not sure I like this minister. I'm not sure I like them. And, and here's the thing we have to ask ourselves at that point is, is it them? Or is it what they're saying? Or is it, in fact, me? Is it just that I don't like what they're saying? That'd be the right question to ask, wouldn't it? Is something going on with me? Am I not able to hear what is being said? Because the truth is, I've changed and I don't like what's being said. Be good to ask that. And Paul says, let's get to this. Test the internal, because otherwise I'll see you in court. And that's a startling thing about these verses. Look at the beginning of chapter 13. It's the image of court. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others. I warned them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Whoa, that's pretty full on, isn't it? Paul says, look, test yourself. We're going to end up in court otherwise. And what do you need in court? Two or three bits of evidence? I'm going to show you're in the wrong. I've written to you twice. There's two bits of evidence. I'm coming again. Third time. Look at yourself. Examine yourself. Are you really a Christian? In your response to me. Yeah, they, dismal, they, they dismissed Paul as weak. And Paul says, yeah, but what about you? What's going on with you? What's going on in your hearts? Paul says, you might have thought that I was weak, but don't you remember that Christ was crucified in weakness? But now he's risen and reigning in power and glory. Yes, I look weak, but when I come to you, I'll come to you as Christ does in, in power, in his name. Don't think I'll be weak next time I come. Wow, it's a challenge, isn't it? Look in the mirror. 
what's going on in your life. What does the evidence show? Are you in the faith? That's the challenge here, isn't it? Stand back and look at yourself for a moment. Because otherwise, Paul says, I'll see you in court. I don't know whether anyone here has ever had a court summons. I almost asked 915, have you ever had a court summons? And asked for a show of hands. I won't do that. Um, I had a court summons about two years ago. Uh, Hampshire Police Constabulary wrote to me and told me that I'd been caught driving in a bus lane. Now, actually, on, on this occasion, and most people who know me know I'm not a very good driver. Um, actually, on this occasion, it wasn't me. It was the guy from Yeoman's Garage, Little Hampton, who was driving the car to the hoverport to drop off a new car for us. I was going to pick it there, pick it up there and take it to the ferry. But when you get a letter like that, you look at it and go, court summons. You go, wow, was that me? Did I do that? I'm thinking, who, who had the car then? Am I the kind of person who'd do that? Or am I just an idiot who drives in bus lanes? Am I the kind of guy who pays no attention to the law? Drive through a red light, drive in a bus lane. Did I do that? Was that me? Is that who I am? What does that show about me? Maybe I just made a mistake. Or maybe I did do it, and maybe I need to change. I think that's Paul's aim here in this passage today. To get us to ask questions about ourselves. What does the evidence show? I think that's what God means for us to do in this passage today. Test ourselves. What does the evidence show in our lives? He hopes they'll pass the test. He hopes they'll do no wrong. He hopes they'll get to the truth. Even if the truth shows that, yeah, Paul's been weak, but they've been strong, he'd rejoice in that. Restoration is Paul's prayer. It's his very reason for for writing verses 9 and 10. You see, we look around, don't we? We, we? We look at ourselves often... And we don't know the truth, do we? We don't know what's going on in people's hearts. Our discernment, you know, is is pretty weak. Here in Corinth, the church has been flirting with super apostles. There's been evident sexual sin. That's the evidence. And it raises questions, doesn't it? And right at the end of the letter here, Paul is, is saying, this church is, you're a bit of a mess. You're embittered. There's factions. There's disobedience. It raises questions. Look at yourselves. Test the internal. Is the reason the church is such a mess? Is the reason that you're such a mess? Because really, you've gone backward in the faith. Are you really in the faith? What does the evidence show? Is our Christian living consistent with our Christian confession? Take a rain check. I heard someone put it like this. They said, do you ever take a spiritual temperature test? Temperatures go up and down, don't they? You probably know that from the thermometer in your house, in where you live at the moment. I think it's a good thing to do, to take a spiritual temperature test. Ask yourself once a year, am I more radical in my Christian discipleship this year than I was last year? Am I more compromised in my faith this year than I was last year? Am I taking God's word more seriously this year than I was last year? Because we're to look out, we're to test and look for what's false and look for its influences. Test what you're hearing. Test what's going on inside too. Test yourself. Do you do that? 
Not to be endlessly paranoid, by the way. We know God is sovereign in Christ. But every now and then, do you take a step back? Look at the bigger picture. And say, how's it going? Am I moving forward in my Christian faith or am I moving backwards? I wonder when was the last time you did that, by the way. Could you, could you, could you put a date in the calendar? Could you look back in the diary? When was the last time you did that? Maybe you could ask someone in your growth group to say, can we sit down, can we just talk about what's going on with me? Am I in the faith? Am I trusting Christ? What's the evidence show? Maybe you could ask someone in your growth group. Maybe you could ask uh, a friend, a family member. I think that'd be a great thing to do. Here's a church embittered and in a mess. And what's Paul's plea for them? Test what's going on, what you're hearing. Are you under true gospel ministry? If you are, listen and repent. But also test what's going on in, in your hearts. Is the, is the anger, is the, the bitterness, actually is that what's going on inside? Where are you in the faith? But I'm glad to say, friends, that that is not all there is to this passage. Let's finish then thirdly by looking at some final encouragements. Final encouragements, uh, 2 Corinthians 13, and this is in verse 11 to the, to the end of the, the letter. Let me read these final words for us. Look at what Paul says. And it kind of takes our breath away, I think. It shocks us after his pleas. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. Oh, and here's a promise. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Those words should have fresh punch for us today now, shouldn't they? They're not the fluffy words we say at the end of church sometime. They've got real meat, haven't they? Here's these last words, and it seems like a bunch of commands, but actually it's, it's loads of really significant stuff. Paul is rehearsing some stuff he's been saying throughout the letter. Rejoice. He's been saying to the church throughout, I, I, I'm going to rejoice because you're going to repent. I'm going to be filled with joy by your response. He encourages them in that. He tells them to comfort one another. He's, he's spoken of weakness and comforting each other in weakness. He returns to that. Remember what I've said on that. He says, live in peace. Settle these disagreements. It's a pretty fitting conclusion, isn't it, verse 11? And, and verse 12, too. He gets to some final greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, you can't do that if you're in factions, can you? Settle your disagreements. All the saints greet you. There's a reminder. This church has been obsessed with success. Thinking they're the big Corinth. Now you're not the only game in town. God is doing something much bigger. That's a great encouragement for them. But those last verses is where our focus is, isn't it? Verse 14. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all evermore. This letter finishes with Paul blessing the church, with Paul praying for the church, with him reminding them of, the, of God's promises to them. If they repent, what will happen? The God of love and peace will be with you. You might have thought at the beginning of this passage, what hope is there for a church like this? Oh, there is loads of hope. Because they need to test themselves for sure. But they also need the, the, the God of grace. And his grace is sufficient for them. So here are some challenges, some final pleas to us. Test your influences. What are you listening to? 
test what's internal. This is what we need in our grumbling and in our mess. But we can know, we can know with great confidence that the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God and the Holy Spirit will be with us. Paul prays it at the end. He's got every confidence in a church that feels like they've got a weak apostle. In a church that has messed up listening to false teaching. In a church that's fallen to looking for human pride and human success. In a church that is stumbling in sin. The grace of God abounds to them. And friends, it abounds to us too. Take the test. But know that you can be restored by God's grace. This is God's big mission after all, isn't it? God has come to us in Christ that we might be restored. God has done everything to bring us into saving faith and a rescue with God forever. In the end, it doesn't depend all on us, does it? It depends on him. What great things to rejoice in and remember at the end of this lesson, at the end of this letter. Take the test and know the grace of God. Shall we pray? Our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, we recognise sometimes that we need a challenge. Father, thank you for these appeals to us to test what we're hearing, to look out for true gospel ministry that's full of the love of a parent. Father, we rejoice when we've seen that. We rejoice when we have it. And boy, would we like to be like it. Father, thank you for this challenge to look at ourselves. Thank you that this letter is a call to us then to repent and examine our hearts. Might your grace abound to us. Might we know that we're forgiven in Christ. Might we call one another to faith again and again. Embolden us when we take these temperature tests to know that you have done everything needed for our salvation. And help us go from here, living in Christ's strength, living in weakness, because he is strong. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.